Sometimes it's uh, worthwhile to point out verses or phrases that are striking in the song, and it's the concluding one of that song, that when the well-fought day, what a a great way of, of seeing what we are a part of here in Christian warfare, that there is a battle that is waging a war that's being run, and, and at the end, it will be seen as a well-fought day. But what is that? What's a, a well-fought battle? It was one that was intense. It was one that took a lot out of us. It was one in which we had to strain and throw our very beings into it. But to know that in the end, we will see the victory of a well-fought battle where all that we put in service to God and the kingdom as, are swept up in his victory. And that as well relates to what we'll be looking at this evening. This evening we come to Lord's Day 33 and the topic of what is true repentance or conversion. So we will be reading from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 33. This can be found in your Forms and Prayers book on page 238. We will as well be reading two texts. One text from 2 Chronicles chapter 33. 2 Chronicles 33, verses 10 through 20. That can be found on page 487 in your pew Bibles. This text from 2 Chronicles will be a story of repentance, a story of that, what it looks like even among someone so wicked as King Manasseh. And then we will be reading from the New Testament from Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26. It's found on page 1,239. Before we read, let's ask for God's blessing. Lord Jesus Christ, as we come before you in a war, as we strain for a well-fought battle, a well-fought fight, so that we would reach the well-fought day, We come before you to be instructed, to hear your words proclaimed to us, to know how to walk before you, but we as as well come before you to worship and to praise you. Here is a pit stop in the midst of the war. Here is a camp in which we come together as your people to be refreshed, to go out into the rest of this week and wage that war for you and for your name. Help us to do that and understand what true repentance is that we would be those to repent with our whole hearts, that we would be those who would know what true conversion is and and be those to have experienced it. We ask this in your name. Amen. 2 Chronicles 33, verses 10 through 20. We will not be reading the first 10 verses that describe the wickedness of Manasseh. Let's just understand that Manasseh was an incredibly wicked king. Beginning in verse 10. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him, And God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Afterward, he built an outer wall of the city of David west of Gihon in the valley and for the entrance into the fish gate and carried it around Ophel and raised it to a very great height. 
He also put commanders of the army in all the fortified cities in Judah, and he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord, and all the altars that he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and he threw them outside of the city. He also restored the altar of the Lord and offered on it sacrifices of peace offerings and of thanksgiving, and he commanded Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer to his God and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, they are in the chronicles of the kings of Israel. And his prayer and how God was moved by his entreaty and all his sin and his faithlessness and the sites on which he had built high places and set up the ashram and the images before he humbled himself. Behold, they are written in the chronicles of the seers. So Manasseh slept with his fathers, and they buried him in his house, and Ammon his son reigned in his place. That text, I love that text as we see one so wicked who repents and God hears. God hears someone who had, who had perpetrated such wickedness even among his people and was open to his plea of repentance. And so we have an example before us. Now we turn to Galatians and hear the, the theology behind it on what is repentance and conversion, what it is to walk by the Spirit of God. Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26 But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I want to highlight verse 24 again. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And now we turn to an explanation from the Heidelberg Catechism of what Genuine repentance or conversion is what it looks like in Lord's Day 33. What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things, the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. What is the dying away of the old self? To be genuinely sorry for sin and more and more to hate and run away from it. What is the rising to life of the new self? Wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith, conform to God's law, and are done for his glory, and not those based on our own opinion 
or human tradition. How do you know it's genuine? How do you know it's real? How can you tell that it is what it claims to be? I was once privileged to witness a, a haggling process, an inspection, and, a, and a, an attempt to buy a classic car. I was around when this haggling was going on and was able to witness. This was some 20 years ago when, when in the classic car market, when muscle cars were, were sought after, and the desire was to get as original of a piece as you could. The question of the day then was, is this genuine? Is it real? And it, it was interesting to see the process, to see them, to see them talk about it and go through and have the hood go up and, and, and look at every aspect of the car and take out a catalog of, of what parts belong to that model and that make and, and what should be there or shouldn't. And did the pinstripe belong to that year on that model? You know, running the numbers, did this, did this number match up? Is this correct? Car guys at that time were willing to pay a lot of money to have that original car. Since then, I, I haven't really followed it. I don't know if that's still the case, but at that time, they were willing to pay far beyond what you would expect for what was genuine. And the goal then was to sift out anything that wasn't real, anything that may have looked like the real deal, but wasn't. Because that would destroy the value and the worth. Well, the same thing is true in our texts, in the Catechism, in our question tonight, well, what is genuine repentance? What is genuine conversion? We don't have car catalogs and books to, to match numbers to, but does God speak to this in his word? Are we able to determine in others, or especially in ourselves, what is genuine repentance and conversion? And the Bible does, in fact, speak to this. We are able to then sift through what might appear on the surface to be a faith that is real, but, but not. That may be only surface level, that, that may look the part, at least initially, but does not contain what is genuine here, heartfelt. And what is genuine repentance? It can be answered very briefly. It can be answered very quickly. What's genuine repentance? Well, it's the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. But that has to be explained so we understand it and are able to look at that in our own hearts. So we're going to look at each of those segments tonight, the dying away of the old self first. What is the dying away of the old self regarding repentance? Well, it's to see a nature that's put to death. It's to, to see something that still might remain within us, a desire for sin, a sinful man that needs to be fought against, but to see that man, that old nature, put to death, though dying away of the old self. A true faith will produce in someone the desire to see that sin mortified, killed, that it would not be fed that would rather be put to the side, that it would be starved. All these ways are describing what is done to a sinful remaining nature, the old man, that is crucified in Christ. So it's even appropriate to speak of that nature, not necessarily as a man of equal parties within us, vying for control as much as a corpse that remains, that we are called to, to put away because... As we read in Galatians, we, those who are truly united to Christ in faith, are crucified with him. The, the, the man of sin is dead, 
And in that we rejoice, but the battle still rages within us. We, we put all that remains down. We put it away. A true Christian will not be content to live in the presence of a rotting corpse that was their old nature, even though that, that smell still clings to us, even if at times we, we go back to what we had done then. No longer is, a, is one of true faith identified with that old man, but one that has to, to be put down. We tend to think in terms of dramatic conversion stories. And to even speak about conversion and repentance, usually what comes to mind is some grand change of life, some grand turnaround. But that's not actually the case. It does happen for some. But the, the radical work of new creation and conversion in a Christian is as, as radical for one who spent every day in the church as it is for one who had experienced that, that turn because it is putting to death by God's hand, it's God doing it, putting to death the sinful nature within us, regenerating us, and then we have faith. One pastor explains the necessity of this well. He says, The native hardness of our hearts makes us unwilling and unable to turn from sin and trust the Savior. That's a question that we could ask ourselves. How, how far gone are we, or is, is man without Christ? How far gone is he? Is there any way he can better his position? Is there any way he can put a sinful man to death? And the answer, of course, is no. We, we are unable to do that. It's necessary that God does a creative act within us where there is new birth. He continues, Therefore, conversion involves a miracle of this new birth. Thus, new birth precedes and enables faith and repentance. Nevertheless, faith and repentance are also our acts. We are accountable to do them. You see, it, it is what God works in us. It, it, it cannot be done by ourselves. It's God who does it. That's given to us first. But yes, there is a part we have to play as far as as placing our trust in the Lord, as repenting, as, as turning around. Now, the Holy Spirit is working that in us as well, but we, we, uh, we work alongside of it in this process. We are accountable to do them, but by the miracle of new birth, by the pure grace God grants us, we now are given the inclination we need to put it to death. Simply defined, when we speak of conversion, we are looking at the Christian life from the viewpoint of its new direction, away from sin and toward God. We're looking at its direction away from sin and toward God. That is true conversion. No longer do we run away from the Lord, but we run to him. No longer do we hide like Adam and Eve did hiding sin, cowering away. It's, it's a turning and running to God with the whole expectation and assurance that he can and will forgive, that he can work in you the new creation he promised. That's what question and, question and answer 89 answers, that what does this look like? What does it look like to, to turn to God? Begins to be genuinely sorry for sin and more and more to hate and run away from it. So the first genuine characteristic of putting the old sinful nature to death is genuine sorrow for sin. Deep sorrow. Obviously, this goes further than what you might feel, what, a, what even an unbeliever might feel with a certain amount of regret. 
Now, I harmed or hurt that person. There's a certain guilt that, that anyone fears, heals, but this goes far beyond that, a deep and genuine sorrow for sin. You see, when one falls into it, who is a true believer, they hate it. They despise it. And one of the main reasons we put sin to death is because we are so sorry that we did it in the first place. It's the mentality and the prayer in our minds that would say, Lord, were I given the chance over again, I would not have done that sin. I would not do that sin. It's a battle, of course, one that we don't always win, but one that we have great sorrow in. In fact, one of the good things that comes from a fall into temptation, and you heard me correctly, one of the good things that comes from a fall into temptation for a believer is the absolute hatred that follows, the disgust and the sorrow. You see, God is, uh, is wondrous in might and power and is able to even take our failures and bring something good out of them. And for a truly repentant person, that is the good that comes from a failure. You see, what, what, what the devil would like to do is to use that and, and to say in many, one of many ways to trip us up, either to, to cause us to fall into it again or to say, see, you're unworthy. And yet what God does, and, and, and I say this a bit tongue-in-cheek, but the, the, the devil must just be so frustrated with the Lord because he thwarts him in every way. He has his people. And even the victories that the, the, the devil might gain amongst the people of the Lord, even the ways he could cause them to fall for God's people, he produces faith through it. Love of God through it. Sorrow through it. And so to, to have a true faith is to have genuine sorrow for what's been done, for what we do. This is obviously accompanied with the knowledge that Jesus will take our sins and put it far from us, that he will remember them no more. And that's because that's the gospel needs to be part of this process in every step of the way. Now we cling to Christ himself, and because we cling to him, we know that he will put it to death. The second genuine characteristic of repentance is that complete hatred of our sins. So we move just from the sorrow of it, the, the fact that we would not do it, to again that, that raw emotion that Paul says in Romans 7.24, O wretched man that I am. You see, far from ruining the, our self-esteem, this makes us see that we do, in fact, hate sin. Sometimes it takes uh, many years to, to really learn these lessons, to, to climb our way out of besetting sins and temptations. And, of course, we know we will never be perfect on this earth, but it's this continual process of, of growth and, and falling, but then hating it and then turning and then being sorrowful and repenting that draws us near to God. Third, true repentance involves running away from that sin. So the other two had a more mental idea, a more emotional felt idea to it. It was that, that sorrow, that hatred, what is it, it part of our thoughts. But here it involves the action of running away from sin. Rather than flirting with sin, rather than being willing to continue to do it without a fight, no, God's word tells us to resist the devil in James 4 verse 7. Jesus, what did he tell us in the Sermon on the Mount to pluck out an eye or cut off a hand if it's necessary? And that is as radical as it sounds, 
Of course, yes, we know you don't physically do it, but it is meant to be as radical as that, that you would cut off anything that that tempts you, that harms you, that makes you fall. It is then that turning away from sin. It's putting it to death. Making no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. And sometimes that means we, we forgo what we would be able to freely do. We, we, we don't go to places where it wouldn't be wrong for us to do, but we know it might tempt us. We know we might be brought into some difficult situation. Well, cutting it off means we don't go there. You see, you see the wisdom that also comes through this process. We begin to, to know ourselves and to know what we need to do to, to put it to death. Turning always to God for the strength, for it only lies in him to do it. Cutting it off, putting away. But we don't just fall into sin because we desire it alone. That's a big part. We do at times desire what's wrong. But we've never actually done a sin without it meaning not only that we desired that, but it meant that God was not important enough to us. God was just not important enough to us. This actually starts getting at, again, how do we fight it? And it isn't just try harder. It isn't just hoping that as time passes, you'll just find the ability somehow to now no longer fall into that sin. How do you put to death an old nature? It's by feeding the good. It's by having God so important to you, by loving him so much, that the sin becomes so distasteful. The sin becomes so alarming and so hated by you because you love God. You see, the way to, to growth in the Christian life is not one of just try harder in your power. You can do it. You can do it. You, you got the power and strength. It's not that, because we don't. It's in God himself. And the easiest way to to turn off that sinful nature, to cut it off, is because we are so focused on the new man that we are in God, in Christ. That's what we see in our second point, the rising to life of the new. That's what we're getting at. The rising to life of the new is because we are so filled with God. And, And hear this. Because we are so focused on our new identity and not the old, Sometimes we run in circles because all we're focusing on is I I have to, to put it to death and I have to stop it. When in reality what God would say is know me and know who you are in me and see the goodness and love me more. And that is how we turn away from that. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We are those crucified in Christ, and the passions and the desires of the old man are put away. You see, the rising to life of the new self, as Catechism says, where is that seen? Well, it's seen in wholehearted joy in God through Christ. I think that's a good explanation of what Scripture teaches 
that how do we see true repentance and true rising to life of the new man? Well, it is wholehearted joy in God through Christ. Notice two things here. Notice the, the, the one in whom we have this joy. It's, it's a direction away from ourselves to someone else, and it's God through Christ. It's God himself. It's, it's focused on him. But notice as well, there's an activity and an action there. It's wholehearted joy. So if I could put it this way, what is the putting to death of the old self and the rise into life of the new? Outjoy your sin. Outjoy your sin. What I mean by that is you are taking so much joy, so much wholehearted joy in God himself, that there's no room anymore for the old man. You see how that's so much so much more clearly a scriptural idea of how we fight against sin than just that, that command, try harder. Don't do it. Of, of course that comes into play, but, but you can't expect yourself to do that unless you have this wholehearted joy in God through Christ. How do you put to death sin? Well, outjoy it. Out-gospel it. Uh, see your identity as who you are in Christ and not as, as that sinful man. You know, it's a, similar to what I said already, that even the, the good God can work through temptation. There's a, there's a goodness to how he works in our sins even. But we also, from the, the knees and broken hearts of failure, tend to have the clearest picture of God that we ever had. Perhaps you've experienced that from times of deep grief and deep regret, and yet it was then that the gospel was that much clearer and true and pure to you. And what are you doing? You're beginning to outjoy the sin problem because of who you are in Christ. This is really what Christ had taught in that in that situation with the sinful woman when he asked the Pharisee, who, who would love more, one who's forgiven little or, or one who's forgiven much? And it is times from those failures and, and when we have backslidden into what we didn't want to do or when our temper took control yet again and, and we didn't want that, we wanted to serve the Lord and, and it really strikes us. And we really are left with that, that knowledge, I am so wicked, I do not deserve this. And yet, what wells up inside of us is love for God because we are a new man in Christ. This is repentance and conversion. It's, 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 it's confession of sin, but it's not just that. It's, it is the turning away into something that's better. If I can illustrate what I'm talking about, you think of the old-time scales that you put one weight on the one side and one weight on the other, and, and whatever was heavier would, would go down to the other side. Or kids, you know the, the seesaw on the playground. Whoever is heavier tends to go to the bottom. It, it, there's more mass, there's more weight there, just like those scales that whatever has more weight will pull down. Well, it feels at times as if what's pulling us down is sin, and that it's that sin that has more weight in our life. But what happens is as God begins to take hold, as we, as we love him more and draw near to him more, the weight starts going like this. And pretty soon what we notice in our growth of the Christian life is that even the draw of that sin doesn't contain enough mass to, to bring the, the love that we have for God back up again. We have so much love for God that it stays that way. 
He's continually magnified in our hearts more and more. He becomes more special, more loving. We understand him more. We see him clearer. 1 John chapter 3 talks about being like Christ because we will see him as he is. And we have a, we have a deposit of that in Scripture. We see Christ as he is and as we gaze upon him, as we love the sight, as we desire him more and more, it grows Kevin DeYoung has a good quote about how we are called to work in this. He says, Too often we think that regretting a past mistake or saying we're sorry for some offense is all that repentance requires. But true repentance involves a change, putting our old ways behind us and walking in a different direction. We are frequently content with mere talk about how sorry we are. We talk about how rotten we are, talk about how bad our sins are. This is all well and good, but the last time I checked, we are called to put to death the deeds of the body, not to merely complain about them. We have not really repented if we are only stirred but not changed. We have not really repented if we are only stirred but not changed. Look deep into your heart. Are you changed and not just stirred? Do you seek to draw near to God and desire that more than sin? And even those times in which you failed, the the aftermath of them, you tell yourself, I should not have let my temper run away. I should not have lusted. I should not have been greedy. I should not have done this, and I hate that I did. And turn to the Lord, repent, and change your life. Without these characteristics, our faith is not real, it's not genuine. Now, merged to this becomes the question, well, what then does, what what then is good? What what do we do to please the Lord? What what are the actions that belong to the man, the new man within us? That new creature in Christ. And that's where the catechism goes in explaining what a good work is. And you see that's necessary at this point, because if, if we just stopped there, you, you would be left a bit directionless. Okay, don't do what's sinful, do what's good, but, but then that needs to be asked, well, what is good? What is pleasing to God? And so we define it. Catechism says, only those which are done out of true faith conform to God's law and are done for his glory and not those based on our own opinion or human tradition. So first, good works come from a true faith. And this already shows that those who are not saved, those who are unbelievers, cannot save themselves. For a good work to be good, you have to have true faith to do it. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. True faith is required, and it makes sense. A good work has to be one directed to God. If you don't believe in that God, how can, be, how can it be good? Faith is required. Second, good works conform to the law of God. Here we have that, that present presentation of what we're supposed to do. We're given direction. Obey God's law. Obey his word. You see, it's not just whatever feels right. Nor is it whatever you just want to do. God is gracious enough to tell us in his word, obey and act in these ways. We, we read from Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. That's part of it. That's that new man, that new spiritual man in us. That's what he produces, that fruit. 
Samuel reminded King Saul of this. King Saul in 1 Samuel 15 had good intentions to worship the Lord, but he didn't obey the law of God. And what did Samuel tell him? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. What God desires more than bringing a sacrifice and even an offering to him is that we be obedient to him and follow his law and, and do so just as we would with our loved ones where we would want to do what pleases them. As you get to know each other, as you know your brothers and sisters, as you want to do something nice for them, you do what they desire. And, and you even become experts in it. Sadly, we too, we too often become experts in how to goad them, how to get under their skin. But we really should become experts in how best to give them joy, to please them. Well, it's no different than what we do with God and obey the law. We do what pleases him. And we become experts in it. Third, good works are done for the glory of God. God created us for his glory, and therefore it is our duty to fulfill that, to give him glory. And when we do these things, we see what is a good work. It's all about the glory of God. It's all about our delight in him. That's conversion in a nutshell. Do you delight in God? Do you delight in who he is? Do you seek to praise him? Well, if you don't, then you don't have true faith. But if that is your desire, then you have the new man within you, and God is working a wondrous work in you, and, and Christ has sent his spirit to give you the strength to put to death the sins in your life, and to grow in holiness. But again, the best way I can say to do that is to seek God. And what does that mean? That's, that's some of that church language we use. Seek God. Well, what do we mean by that? Desire him? Actually pursue him? Pray? I know I'm giving the Sunday school answers now, but they're always real, they're always true. Pray, read, draw to God in your devotions. Be mindful of, of him throughout the day. You know, it's a relationship. What do you do when you're, when you're dating someone? Well, nowadays it's all texting and calling. In fact, too much so, but we'll let's put that to the side. What, what is it? It's, it's a desire for fellowship. What do, what do you do when you come home to a loved one, whoever it may be, or to a friend? You have stories to tell. You have things to say because you want to share it with them. You see, there's a part of the just enjoyment of the relationship with God that should be there, that, that we often put to the side, that often we just lack and neglect. And we make, we make our walk with God so much about, well, it's do's and don'ts, and it's, and it's come to church and do, do, do. And all of that is, is good and it's when it's rightfully understood. But at the heart of it all, you desire God. You, you love him. And so, yeah, let's, let, let's take the illustration, and it's not just you, you fire off the text. You would never believe what happened, so and so. You'd never believe what I just saw. It, it's what we do to God. We say, Lord, I, I, I notice what you did there. Thank you. I see your goodness. Or, or we desire, you know, let, let's turn the radio off in the car. Let's, let's put that to the side, and, and I just want to talk to God and commune with him and withdraw to, to a place and, and to desire him. Psalm 63 says it in a way that I, we never could. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. 
My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. He continues, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. That's true conversion. That's true repentance. It's far more than, God, I'm sorry for my sin. It's, it's that. Deep desire of God. And how do you get there? First ask. Ask God for that. Pray to him. Continuously, deeply strive in prayer. Be, be as Jesus' parable says, that, that one neighbor incessantly knocking at night. And, and finally, finally the homeowner will just go and unlock the door so that he can get, a, get, get a rid of you. But, but God's more than that. God is one who desires to come, desires to answer. But, but just wrestle in prayer with it. Seek the Lord, read his word, turn to him. Read books about him and who he is, about his being, his character, his attributes. Better understand the God whom you serve, because the more you look, the more you gaze on him, the more in awe you will be. The more you turn to him. This is how we pursue God, and we desire who he is. We desire that fruit. We desire a relationship with him. There is nothing better in life the reason we were created was to know God and to know him beyond a sort of theoretical, I'm a Christian and this is my God and so I'm saved. He's the very center of who we are. And as, as that faith is fed, sin falls away. It can't help but be in the presence of God and one who loves God to that degree, one who seeks him and repents who's genuinely sorry for sin. This is what genuine repentance looks like, and it's a beautiful thing to behold. Pray that God would develop that in your life. And I say this often, when you're trying to cultivate a love or a desire for something, what's required is the action first, and then the, the ease of it, the emotions of it follow. Often what we're called to do is first on an act of faith, know that as I continue to pursue him, what will follow will be this appreciation, this desire for God. But, but it means you have to act on that before you have those feelings. I'll just put it in a, in a concrete way. Before you, you think to yourself, I just really want to read my Bible. Th that's not a thought we always have. It's not a thought that just comes into our minds. You know what I want to do today more than anything else? Read God's word. But, but what we know is that, I, I, even though I may not feel it right now, if I make that decision and draw near to God, then it truly will be the best time. Then it truly will draw me near. And the more and more we seek and draw near to God in that way, the, the strength of our faith grows and our love for God grows. This is how we seek him and delight in him. This is true repentance. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus Christ, we desire that Psalm 63 would be our heart's felt cry. Lord, we pray that Manasseh's confession would help us see that you always respond even to, to the sinners, the, the, the worst of sinners, that you hear and answer. And Lord, we, we pray from Galatians 5 that we would see we are crucified with Christ. It is no longer a, a sinful man who lives in us, but the Spirit of Christ himself. And in this, Lord, put to death what is sinful. Increase within us our repentance, the, the sorrow for our sin, our hatred of it. Increase in it the good works that we do. But all of that flow from a desire to give you glory, because we have, we have seen God, and we magnify your name. We ask this in Jesus' great name.